This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Footballistically, Arsenal is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Hello and welcome to Footballistically Arsenal. I'm Boyd Hilton as usual. Psychic Psychic Josh Landy is with us. Missed you last week, Boyd. Yeah, apologies. Um, where was I? I was at, I was at the Avengers film. Of course you were. Premiere, sorry. That's um, quite long. It's very... It's really three hours long. Yeah, and I was trying to work out way of doing this podcast and going to that, but I couldn't in the end because it's... Cause it, no, we tried to do it early. Wasn't yeah. going to be early enough. No, I know. But it was very good. I listened. It was very good. Uh, Shame it wasn't long enough to go all the way into the game against Wolves. You could have missed that as well. That would have been, been good. good. That would have been good, yeah. Um, uh, we are joined by a very special guest, um, the great Colin Lewin. We had um, Gary Lewin on um, about a month ago, maybe? It was a month ago. Who's your cousin, of... Colin? Welcome. Yeah, how are you doing? Nice um, to meet you. And that was one of our most acclaimed... Uh, podcast we've ever done so you know right? up okay, to, yeah. yeah no pressure <laughs> um and of course colin was at Arsenal for 23 years in the yep. medical team physio, years. and in charge for nine of those years right nine ten of those years, uh so. ten yeah ten, i took over in 2008 and, uh, and the, yeah. in the kind of last 10 years of, of wenger's reign after yes, wenger's reign. the final 10 the yeah. final 10 so we've got loads to talk about um with colin so we're going to have a kind of foreshortened topical early section where we look back at recent miserable results our terrible run of three defeats in a row um but i guess that we can we can thrash that out but all i'll say is i'm gonna say my piece about these three defeats in a row first yeah which is that i think people are getting hysterical i know it's bad i know it's depressing but think back this time last year like people like me who got to the end of our tether with the last few years of arsenal um, just kind of, mainly because of the repetitive tediousness of it all, I felt. Well, this is what I wanted. I wanted, I've said this a couple of times. You wanted three defeats I want, in a row. No, no, yeah. no. I wanted, a, I wanted, I'll be honest with you, a new manager with some new ideas, a less predictable way of setting up the team, different tactics, different team selection. And my golly, he's given us that. I mean, he's absolutely given us. You can I, never pick a team. You can never pick the team he's going to pick. I mean, actually, with possibly the last... Two, I mean, the, the, the team selection against Palace was disastrous. And one, that's, for me, one his biggest mistake of the season, because I think that's led to this terrible run. But 
generally, I don't think we can get hysterical. If you're like me, if you wanted to change, you wanted a kind of new, new, new manager, some new players. We've still got some great new players. And all that's happened is these recent results have been bad. They went on a brilliant run. And we knew he was going to have trouble with this squad. It's, a, for me, a weak squad. Loads of changes needed. All of that's come true. And we're still, as we speak now today, with two games to go, possibly going to finish in the top four or else win I can the Europa board. League. I can... So I'm saying, everyone, calm down, get a grip. It's still too early to judge him. And those people suddenly, every other result, they decide, is he or isn't he worth keeping with? You've got to give him time. It's insane not to suddenly go three defeats in a row. Particularly one with the sending off. I think the sending off was disastrous and terrible. I was furious about the whole thing. And the game wouldn't have stayed the same without that, that sending off because he was about to change it half time and saw, as he often does. So it's all going to be fine. I'm still fine with it. I'm perfectly happy. Josh. Boy, I congratulate you on putting the most positive spin on the most spin. disastrous exactly how 10 I days of a season. Even that sending off on Sunday, the, the first 35 minutes, we had Iwobi pass the ball to their goalkeeper. And apart from that, we didn't look like scoring. Anyway, in the first half, and, and we're toothless. No, actually, we had a couple of chances. Actually, actually, actually you're wrong. We had, we, had a, we had the Iwobi chance, and there was a d- decent Lacazette chance, which was off target. Yeah. Um, it was a good Lacazette chance early on. Uh, yeah, the, but anyway, carry, I, on. I went, carry on. I went Sunday, <laughs> carry actually. On. I, thought, I thought I'd just do one more away domestic trip before the end of the yeah. season. And the train journey was lovely. Meeting up with Alex Brooker was lovely and a few other yeah. people. The football was a complete waste of time. Um, however... What you've done there is, I think, still not got over how much you were desperate for a new manager, and now you're willing to to forgive some of these sort of well, recent problems. It's, it's realistic, and it is realistic. great that we're still in with the chance of Champions League. But considering where we were and where we should have been after the last three games, I don't think we can be overly happy. I think well, I'm not happy. Still, I'm, I'm gutted. If we're especially if we along, don't finish in the top four. But I'm, I'm really keen. We just move on anyway. Improved, and talk about fine, but he's already things. improved. The points tally already. It's oh, it's it, so I'm that whole sure. thing about is it going to you know, is it going to be a disaster? People are predicting we could finish ninth, tenth. It could be horrendous, but it's none of that's happened. And com- and look at our rivals the as well. The most likely thing Sorry this at Chelsea's had a really bad time. This is what happens when and I'd rather be in their position. People like cool. Well, slightly, yeah. But what I'm saying is this happens with managers in their first season. No matter how big the club is, it okay. takes time. Look back at Klopp. Look at Pep Guardiola's look. first season. These things happen. People have to be calm. And logical and not go hysterical and go, oh, we've got a ditch manager. I think what we're going to get... Colin, is, is there anything is you would like to say about the recent form of Arsenal? I or think, generally this uh, season? I think once you're a physio, you're always a physio. And it's always <laughs> drummed into you, no football opinions. Fair enough. On any grounds, unless <laughs> you have a football opinion. It's something we said year after year, month after month. For the record, I agree with Boyd. Thank you. But... Sorry, no football opinions. No, fair what, enough. Was it, was it Nigel Atkins who was a physio who became a Yes, he was, manager? yeah. 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 Never thought of the uh, the leap yourself. You're joking, no, no chance. But yeah, the lads who work with Nigel Atkins say he's a very, very, very understanding manager medically, and that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, that's interesting. Completely. Probably makes a big difference, doesn't it? Probably. I'm not saying it's the right <laughs> thing to do, but it probably makes yeah. their life a bit easier. The only other thing I could say before we go in depth, um, in depth into Colin, is that I did get to go to the um, Arsenal Foundation. Arsenal Foundation annual charity event which was always one of the great nights of my life I saw Dermot's handshake yes. that he did with was it Aubameyang and Lacazette yeah terrific yeah um, I got a picture with Aubameyang and Lacazette in the middle you were trying was... to play it cool weren't you you were trying not, not to be too fanboy I didn't no I not play it cool at all I was des- I, from the as soon as I got there I literally you know pretty much stalked be Aubameyang right. and Lacazette to how are get... they did you chat they were brilliant yeah I chatted to, to Aubameyang for at least I would say two to three minutes and um, I mainly asked him about um, 
his sinuses because you know he just he just missed the game previously because he had a mysterious slightly mysterious sinus operation yeah that was the and so I asked about that and the sinuses and he kind of looked at me quizzically and then I think he suddenly re- realised what sinuses were and he was like oh yeah yeah it's fine it's fine I'll be playing he said yeah, I'll be playing at the weekend and, as he did and um, then I asked him about his bromance with Lacazette whether you know whether they got on him as soon as they met and he was like yeah as soon as we met we're on a wavelength and so I learned a nice shout about that and then Lacazette came over and, and confirmed that they were genuinely best mates now. Any other highlights from the evening? Well, I had a quick chat. I got a photo with Emery, Unai Emery, yeah. and um, he was really nice. I said to him, I think you're doing a really good job. This was admittedly <laughs> before the third of Harry Sniffix, but I did believe he was doing I said, you think you're doing a really good job already. He went, it's too early, it's too before early. Before he replied, did he say, good evening? Because I've um, never seen him talk without saying good evening first. He didn't say good evening. Did he, he said good evening. No, he said thank you, nice to meet you. And um, I said you're doing a really good job. And he said too early, it's too early. And I went what? And he went too early. You know. I'll get... So he himself, the one thing he said to me was it's too early to judge on how to good a job is. So I thought it was very sweet and modest of him. Dan Baldwin, formerly of this podcast, who I he claims he's with, coming back, was there. One day he'll come back. Mm-hmm. You know Dan, don't you? Yeah, I know Dan. Yeah. Dan had about. A th- 20-minute chat with him, because he sat right behind Dan. Dan was on a different table to us. So Emery was sitting literally a foot away from him. Wow. And they had about a 20-minute chat, and he still wouldn't... And I said to Dan, I was, what were you talking about? And he said, I'm not sure I really know, which was interesting. Because <laughs> obviously Unai's English is the best staccato. Yeah. But they did have a quite a long chat, so that was, that was interesting. Great, yeah. well, the next time we see Dan, we'll, we'll find out. Yeah, so it was a, glo- and it was a glorious night. Dermot, and the only reason I got to go is because Dermot O'Leary hosts, and he did a brilliant job. Um, and I th- the, one, actually, the highlight, I have to say was the BFG, Big Friendly German, Her. Per Mertesacker, did a speech, because he is, like, driving... He went to, you know, he went to Africa, he did, you know, he, he kind of makes sure that the, the investments from, this, from the Arsenal Foundation build these pitches and training grounds in, in these areas. Mm-hmm. And he made this incredible speech off the cuff. He's so eloquent and... Um, Incisive and brilliant, and he's going to make a really good manager. I just seem so intelligent. I, I hear, feel like, yeah, I hear he's also the one that's sort of being put up to go and do um, comms on behalf of the club with like the AST. Yeah, right. I think he's doing fantastic. For me. Yeah, he's so impressive. Yeah, he's, he's daunting. You can't help but respect him, and uh, he speaks very well. I mean, the second language as well. And yeah, yeah. Incredible. he speaks so well, and you can't, yeah. you can't help but want to believe him. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, so, Colin, let's. Your your um, time at the club, um, a what? Just generally, like how you know, in that, being in charge for those for that ten year period under Arsene Wenger, was it very different from when you first joined the club? If you like, kind of ten, twelve, thirteen years before that, very had times diff- moved on a lot. Very different. Um, when I first arrived, I was working underneath Bruce Rioch. Um, obviously, Gary brought me in and um, working with Bruce Rioch for that short time in the old training ground with a squad of players where there were, I think, three foreign players, right. which, looking back, seems mad. 1995, this is. Um, fast forward to 2008, when Gary left to go with the national team full-time. Yeah. Uh, and I took over. Suddenly, you're looking around the squad, and it's a very different-looking squad, yeah. in a very different-looking training ground. Obviously, with a very different manager, albeit he'd been there for years by then. But, uh, yeah, incomparable, almost. Same colour kit, incomparable. <laughs> almost. And moving to the new stadium, having the new training ground, was that big, does that make a big difference to you? All of that. Stadium less so, because mm. we're only there once every, whatever it is, 10 days, 14 days. It's still lovely to have it. It's still a great facility. And some of the equipment we've got there was, was brilliant. The space, Highbury had no space. Emirates did have space, which was helpful. But the training ground is your workplace day in, day out. You spend a lot of time there. 
And so to go from the training ground we had, which for a club of Arsenal sides was very, very basic, <clears throat> what a blessing that was when it burned down. <laughs> um, and then to move into the new training ground, which we all helped design. We all mm. helped meeting after meeting. Uh, a fellow called Sean O'Connor, he's the training ground facilities manager, and he did an unbelievable job along with the architects building that place. And it's evolved since then. I mean, there's been additions 2012. There was a medical building. 2017 was this magnificent new player performance centre. And, uh, yeah, it made a massive difference just to almost design it ourselves, to have a big gym, to have a swimming pool. The quality of the pitches were unbelievable compared Mm. to what we've been used to. And I think you can play catch-up with your neighbours or you can be a pioneer in designing your own training ground. Are you ever involved? Presumably you're involved. When a, when a player is thinking about signing <coughs> for the club, they have to come to the training ground traditionally to do a medical. Is that, is that still right? Yeah, would, yeah. Would you be there with them doing that medical? Because yes. surely that must be a, you know, a big thing for an impression, someone's first impression of the club going to the old training ground. So what the new one was? I think by the time it gets to medical, the decision is made. Right, OK. I would have thought it might be cases in youngsters or really young players youth team players but by the time it gets to medical for a senior player they've made their mind up right. they're coming um, but there'll be tours going on with young trialists or yeah. young players that they want to attract to the club and yeah the training ground plays a huge part the player needs a well factor needs to be impressed with what he's going to come and work with day in day out so on that side of it yeah this is important I'm just going off topic a little bit here when someone is thinking about signing for the club at what point do you get notified they're like Colin Colin we've got we've got someone well, they, they want to be quite discreet presumably and keep a few yeah. people in that circle because what if it goes wrong and they don't end up signing it varies obviously you can get half a day's notice and you can be given weeks notice sometimes you're asked to do a bit of background research on a player yeah which is obviously using unofficial means to try and find out what you can. Simple stuff that's available to everyone. Yeah. Their playing record, their injury record, it's all out there. Um, if it's a player at another club and you happen to have a colleague who may have worked with that player and you trust them, you can find out a little bit about them. But you have to have trust because obviously it can't keep getting out into the media. So yeah. it, you're right, it becomes a very tight circle of people that know about the player, especially if it's a big name, Yeah, which inevitably it, it was. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you, you go back with your information you've gathered. Most of the time it's progressing contractually and it goes to medical. Every now and then it falls apart. You know, when, um, as fans, we often think, like when players sign and then sometimes, you know, they get injured quite frequently. We, we, we use the phrase injury prone because we don't know what we're talking about, basically. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, if a, player gets, if, if a player gets more than, I don't know, three injuries in about a couple of seasons, we think, oh, well, they're injury prone. Yeah. Is, that fa- is, that, is there any such thing as that? Does, it, does that make any With sense? With regards to just... new players, you mean? Yeah. I think any new player going to any club, whether they're coming to Arsenal or from Arsenal, you're, you're going to a new training regime. Different loads on your body, different pitch, mm. different demands from the manager. So the body doesn't like change. And so, yeah, I think joining a new regime, we're always fairly careful with new players when they come try to break them in gently right but if they're, one minute, so if they've had say they've had a, a player that the manager only wants to sign it's a really good you know famous yep. player maybe you yep. know, but they've had two or three injuries recently for their previous club you know you could point that does that make them injury prone does that put a doubt in, them, in your mind or do you think no you know that's not a thing necessarily I don't think a few injuries in a few years is enough to stop a signing right. if a manager wants a player the manager wants a player yeah. but it does give us a nudge, if you like, to when they get there to thoroughly assess them. Mm. 
have a chat with them, work with their weaknesses, work with the fitness coaches, work with the coaches to try and limit the risk. We're never going to we're never going to obliterate the risk. There's always a risk. Yeah, yeah. But you do your best to minimise it. I, I guess there's always a, a decision to be made that it, sometimes it falls in some kind of grey area. I, I don't know the, the one that just immediately leaves to mind. Someone like Kim Kallstrom a couple of years ago when he was sort of perceived as being signed whilst injured. But I guess is there just a view taken on? how he'll recover and whether there's enough time to make that signing justifiable before the end of the season. I mean, that's in the public eye. We can talk about that. So Kim joined us and during his medical, one of the scans highlighted a couple of fractures in his vertebrae, in his lumbar spine. And he was sat there fully expecting to sign for Arsenal. He'd hurt his back on a, uh, a Dubai trip, I believe, with Spartak Moscow, 10 days before he came to sign for us. And um, we went into the manager and spoke to the contracts people and said, there was 14 weeks left of the season. He's going to be another six weeks injured with a back problem. It was deadline day and Arsene took the view, we'll take him, get him better as quick as you can. I think there was some deal struck with Spartak who was beyond my pay grade. (laughs) And we got him back for the last eight weeks of the season. I mean, arguably, it wasn't a great loan signing. But he, he did scored score a penalty. penalty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Scored a penalty in the semi and uh, yeah, yeah. started against West Ham. And he's probably looking at Dennis Suarez now, thinking, yes. "I'm no longer <laughs> the most pointless." <laughs> you can, you yeah, can say that. People are. People are it's funny you mentioned say that because people are comparing the oh, two. Really? Yeah, well, yeah. You, you can on, say on that. Social media. I think yeah. Calstrom's penalty is far far outweighs uh, yeah. Suarez. Suarez had what like 95 minutes. Is that combined over six appearances? Yeah, that's his. Yeah, that hasn't. That's turned out spectacularly, pointlessly, yeah. Thank uh, God it was only a loan, though. Just talking, I'm, I'm interested, Like de- you mentioned their deadline day. Your workload must be really stressful on, on deadline day. So um, like if they're trying to bring in more than one player, I'm trying to think, we've had a few, you know, our uh, Shavin, we've had a quite a number of you know, mm. deadline days over what well, must have been your period. We had a deadline day where we signed four. Yeah, yeah. Same day. Wow. I think I got the player, I think I know which four it was. I think it was... Per Mertesacker, yeah. Mikel Arteta, yeah. yes. Yossi Benayoun, and your man Chu Young Park. I think it was those four the same day. I might be wrong, but we signed four the same yeah. day, and it was Bedlam. Yeah. Yeah. Scan slots, players in with a doctor, being assessed by different people, and okay, most of the time they go well. But Yossi Benayoun had had a significant calf injury previous to that, so you're speaking to Chelsea about that. That was only alone. Yeah. But... It was a mad day. But you get there early on deadline day, you're speaking to the contracts fella um, who negotiates that sort of thing. You're speaking to the manager and you know potentially you've got a late night. I've been sat having a Caesar salads in one of the offices at 9pm waiting for a potential player to arrive and you don't know until 9, 10 o'clock they don't arrive. And just give us an insight of like... That's not just me, that's every physio at every club. Yeah. Mm. And just give us an insight of how many... What do you say, how many... Percentage. I appreciate you don't want to talk about specifics. It wouldn't be appropriate, but what percentage fail a medical and it never goes through? Who turn up thinking they're going to sign for the club? Fail it on a medical problem, as in something arises you're not expecting, and that results in a decision taken not to sign this player when there was an intention to do so. Is that re- very rare? Or yeah, very rare. Okay, because you generally look back at their last few years, and if they've managed to play a decent number of games in those previous three years and they find something horrible on the medical, it needs further investigation, and it's very unusual. But did it happen? Yes. Um, A long, long time ago, I probably shouldn't name him, but it was a goalkeeper from 20-odd years ago who failed a medical and went on to do very well at a Spanish club. Wow. (laughs) And, you know, but we took a view. Another club took a similar view. 
I think the third club he went to took a risk and he went on to do okay. So, again, it's just an assessment of risk. Mm. Medicals aren't a simple yes, no. It, yeah. you, you're giving the management and everyone else an element of here's the risk associated with this player. It might be a number one grade where they've got zero risk. Don't worry about him, he's fine. Generally, the younger boys with no injury history. On the other end of the scale, you've got older boys with a colourful injury history, shall we say. <laughs> and um, the idea then, the advice is, you know, we're not saying no, but these are the risks associated with this player. I've got just another question before we talk about, I think we want to talk about some of the players who were in that period. I, I, was, um, I was with someone recently who um, is very close to someone who's, I think, on the performance side at, at the Football Association and being involved in sort of elite sort of physical side of sport who mentioned that they feel a lot of the top athletes now will want their own people and they'll want to sort of feel they've got their own sort of um, somewhat like a personal Team trainer behind them, yeah. people, people <clears throat> around is that difficult for you to manage like you're, you're ultimately responsible for these players you know in the role you're in how do you deal with other individuals who are trying to help these players and maybe is it more of a thing with foreign lads who sort of trust other people a little bit it is getting worse I say worse it's been getting more difficult right and uh, it's a common problem it's not just one club Everyone has the problem. I think you'll find at the bigger clubs in Europe where players are being paid a lot of money as well, they can afford to have their own man, if you like. Now, whether yeah. that own man is a physio, a fitness coach, it's generally one of those two. Um, it, it does make it very difficult, but you've got a choice. You can fight it, fight it, fight it. If this player wants his own man, you're not going to win the battle. So we generally used to try and get our arm around the player try and meet the outside therapist if we could and say we need to know everything you're doing and we'll tell you everything we're doing because if there's any overlap that's only going to put your your employer really but it must at be, risk there must be a fear of you know you've got this multi-million pound star and someone you're not in control of is ultimately doing something physical with them yeah I mean it didn't happen much to my knowledge obviously but there are clubs that have real big problems with yeah. it but the person I mean, Neil Warnock spoke recently about one of his players, Camarasa, I believe it was. Mm, yeah. he oh, had, he did, yeah. Yeah, he had his own man. And his own man was stopping him playing because yeah. he hasn't got a particular interest in what the team does. Mm. Whereas I'm working for a club, I want that club to win the game. Yeah. Okay, there's always risks attached to players. You're not going to be stupid. You're not going to be negligent. But your motives, your drive are different. Mm. And I think it's a big problem. Um, there are some clubs in Europe that have a terrible time in my time at Arsenal, we managed it fairly well, I think, but it is going to get worse. If you have players who... Do you get players, without naming names, um, who, whose injuries you think aren't... who don't want to play with an injury and you think they probably should? Does that ever happen? I'm thinking of... I am thinking of a particular player. What are you thinking, <laughs> who, of, who are you thinking of? Ozil. <laughs> I'm thinking of Ozil. But you don't have to talk about him specifically. But do you know what I mean? Pl- like he, he, the, fact, the reason he didn't play in the last game was bruised foot, wasn't it? That was the reason again. Now, bruised foot doesn't sound like, very serious to me. So as soon as you see that, you think, oh, that's not very... Surely a lot of players will play with a bruised foot. <laughs> I don't know the truth behind that. Um, I think if someone has damaged a small ligament between a few bones in their foot, the public aren't going to want to hear that someone has sprained their tarsal metatarsal <laughs> ligament, are they? So sometimes you paraphrase and say they bruised their foot. Now, right. I accept that can sometimes come across. Yeah. I don't know the truth in this case. You think to be it's honest, bad wording anyway. But Mesut yeah. Ozil, if he can play, he's going to play. Right. Okay. But I think uh, you do get the occasional times when players maybe look ahead to the game afterwards. Mm. Um, I suppose you'd call it self manage if you're being kind. But <laughs> there are certain players that will self manage at times. 
So and is it almost? Would you, would you want that player on the pitch reluctantly playing at eighty percent, or no. would you want them to be honest and say, "Yeah, it's not an easy one." It is yeah. not. Does that mean a player might almost come to you as if they want like a doctor's letter to get out of? Let's say the cup final is on the Saturday. There's a league game. We've already won the. You know, there's nothing riding on this, yeah. which happened. Mm. You know, towards the end. You know, we had these cup finals and probably. Yeah. Are they it almost happen, coming yeah. to you for a doctor's letter and going? But that's a chat. Get me out of this league game because I'm all about the final that ends up being a chat with a manager yeah. I think that's when your relationship with the manager and the doctor the three of you are going to be tight mm. and say you would never lie to your manager you go to the manager and you tell him what's gone on and then you sit with the manager and you say look do you want him we're not convinced he wants to play the manager's going to be fairly sensible I think in that case and say mm. well I want someone out there who wants to play do you- it's a you've got to be a certain level of player to pick and choose your games haven't you but I think uh it all comes down to relationships. The manager ultimately has to pick the team he thinks is going to win the game. We're there to advise. Do you ever get? Do you ever think managers, like again, us fans who don't really come kind of uneducated about this stuff, we sometimes teams that seem to have a lot of injuries, for example, <coughs> over with a particular manager, often like people later say, oh, he's over training them and things like that, and you know people come up with their theories as to why. But do you think is it? Is it most of them just down to luck, or about, you know, or do you have you do you, do you see times where you feel managers are overtraining or whatever, or training in a in a misguided way that could lead to certain types of injuries? I don't accept luck. I think you can accept luck when it comes to traumatic injuries. Right, there's no doubt about that. I think some teams suffer traumatic injuries every now and then. That you can say is luck, whatever that means. And UEFA have fairly much, pretty much proven over the years that a change of manager does cause a spike or a dip mm. in your injury rates. Mm. So we know it's related to what they're doing on the pitch, and that's not a real surprise, is it? If you're training yeah. a team 40 minutes a day and I come in and train them for two hours every day, there's yeah. going to be a change in the injury record. But a change in manager can affect that. Mm. But do teams overtrain their players? Probably. Mm. Do some teams undertrain their players? Probably. Mm. Who knows what's optimum? Did um, I'll come to Arsene Wenger for a bit before again? But did, you, you won't be a. What was he like as a person? You know, for, with you, and B. Do you think his methods changed over the years significantly? You know, from the period where I mean, there's lots to take into account, isn't there? But I'm thinking of you know the early days when trophy after trophy after trophy, you know, right from the start to the later years, which you can talk about the stadium and all those issues and the types of players and our budget and all of that change of ownership. But how did you? How was your relationship with him? And do you think he he changed particularly? Did he change is a difficult question to answer, to be honest. I'm, I'm not convinced. Obviously, he evolved. I think everyone learns from their mistakes. I think certainly he he developed. Of course he did. Why wouldn't you in 20 years? Um, but did he actually change? I think that's a difficult question. We always got on very well. Mm. Um, he's a good man. He was a fair man. He wasn't particularly emotional, as in shouting, screaming. I think he was always very... Decent with with his staff. I mm. think uh, yeah, bad days. Yeah, good days. The same as everyone has good days and bad days. Um, it absolutely killed him when we lost. Mm. Absolutely ruined his next forty eight hours, um, as it did all of us. But he was a. Uh, it meant an awful lot to him. But I think that's what made us all rally around and respect him so much and want to work so hard for him. Mm. You could tell what it meant to him. But good manager to work for. He says, having not worked for many managers, mm-hmm. but he was very, like I say, fair. He would listen to you. If you had an opinion on something, especially medically, because that was your main opinion, and he listened to you. Mm. And 
I don't think I was overruled once in all that time. If we said someone wasn't right, he'd take our view. I'm just interested, you, you talk about how, how low he'd be if, if Arsenal got lost. Is there, is there a game or a moment that stands out where he, you know, the dressing room, where we, you know, he was as flat as you ever seen or, or maybe where, you know, for a man that didn't shout and get overly emotional that, that he did? Again, the two that spring to mind, and I'm not telling you anything that's not been out there already, we were 5-1 down at Old Trafford. If you remember that, oh yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that wasn't a pretty half time. That was a a tricky one. He took Ashley Cole off, I think. I think Ashley Cole was taken off at half time. He was a young lad then. Yeah, and Ashley came off at half time to protect him. I don't remember. Maybe mm. he protected him. Maybe he was having a bad time. I don't remember. So he was really fed up then. Um, but that's angry. But I think flat. I mean, when you think of all the successes we've had in cup finals. There's an awful lot of cup finals that have been won. The ones that you lose always stick in your mind. So when you think of Champions League finals, UEFA Cup finals, FA Cup final against Liverpool, I mean, how do you pick yourself up from that? That is mm. as flat as it gets. So, and, uh, and does that sort of combine with seeing the dressing room? Obviously, the, you know, Arsenal, you mentioned there being sort of low for 48 hours, an example. Do you feel the players were similarly? It was, you know, was it the Champions League final defeat to Barcelona where, this, as a group, there was sort of, you know, a, a low feeling of like unable to sort of, you know, I think see the light. When it's something like the Champions League final or one or two of the well, the Liverpool FA Cup final, maybe Liverpool wasn't, but the Champions League final was the last game. Yeah. So at least you know that's mm. you're flat now. There was a World Cup going on six weeks later. Yes. But at least there's some, it's just a last game. But then to pick yourself up for another game after that. Yeah. So there's been flat dressing rooms when you've had to play again. You know, going out the Champions League, whatever year it was, it's not a nice thing. Losing the league, getting to a point at the end of the season where you can't win the league anymore was also a very flat dressing room. Mm. I could probably name you 20 flat dressing rooms and another 40 yeah. high dressing rooms. You know, it's uh, same as any club, I suppose. But. In, go on. <laughs> no, I was going to you talk about flat dressing room and, and Arsenal fans always talk about you know, for years they've talked about, you know, the failures to replace a Vieira or a Gilberto or a Tony Adam, you know, leaders. Leaders. How big is, is that? Because you, you're, you're sitting there, you're, you're in the dressing room, you'll see everyone. Is that fair or have there kind of been leaders during that sort of, the last 10 years of Arsenal who, who is just, the fans don't see it and, and they sort of just have to accept that it's not, you know, the Tony Adams, the, you know, the English captain but it's happening we just don't see it yeah I suppose so I mean obviously it's been a long time there's a I'm talking about a lot of years here yeah but yeah there's been plenty of leaders around the place I mean define leader does it have to be the Vieira Adams type of the lead by example shouting screaming picking people up there's different ways of doing it Gilberto Silva was a a hell of a leader great man um there's been plenty more than that I thought Per Mertesacker when he played was mm. very dominating in his presence but in an ideal world you'd have a team of leaders I know it's a cliche but I think uh, there's, been, there's been a few over the years but that outstanding dominance of the two you mentioned is, uh, is hard to replace isn't it and I think there's also perceptions in there I think with, with Wenger particularly that I mean he had his start he was very clear on his style of play you know and, and for by far the most time, it was incredibly attractive football. Um, and there was a perception, wasn't it? They kind of sent the team out to play the way they wanted to play rather than like being, going into tactics and all that. Is that fair, do you think? That he wasn't a kind of 
religiously banging and this is what that our opposition is going to be like. It was more about go out and play. I suppose so. We're in danger of getting into football opinions. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I just, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, Arsenal would worry about what we could do, what Arsenal would do. Yeah. I think you can overanalyze at times, but again, that's more a coach's view rather than a physio's. I think get a coach and have a chat with him. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, we've got loads more questions to, to fire at you. Before we do, let's take a quick break and we'll be back after this. Footballistically Arsenal is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. And we're back from the gra- sorry. And we're back from the break. And we're back from the break. Um, let me remind you that you can download the Labrooks app and play one to three, which is a free game where you have to predict three correct Premier League scores. If you get all three right, you win hundred pounds. If you get just one right, you get a free two pound bet. And if you get two right, you get a free five pound bet. Terms and conditions apply. Josh. Let's we talk about player. I mean, yeah, can... I, w- I wanted to ask a question exactly on that because okay. y- you obviously naturally in your role must have spent more time with certain individuals over years than people will think of Wilshire and Riziki, DR, you know, the, the players who were you know injured for huge you know number of days in their Arsenal career. Do you end up building a, a better relationship with those with those sort of players? Is it just natural you, you end up spending a lot of time with them? Yeah, I think you, you get to know them. You're spending hours and hours every day with them. Yeah. You see their good times, you see their bad times. I think, uh, of course, you get to know them better. You get to know them, their wives, their families, their agents, and everyone else. But my role in the last 10 years was more head of medical, so I would have to right. put the long-term injured player with a physio. Yeah. I worked with Ben Ashworth, Andy Rolls, yeah. Jimmy Haycock, Simon Harland, Declan Lynch, all these boys that were... So my job was to think what was the best fit there yeah who's the best fit for that player for this long-term relationship so you're thinking a bit about the relationship between the two of them yeah you're out of for nine months you've got to get yeah of course yeah there, there are certain players who get on with physios and certain players who don't particularly get on with certain physios so my job was to put them with the Do best you sometimes fit. change would someone be with someone for a month and yep. go oh, wow not because they wanted to because sometimes fresh eyes yeah fresh face especially when it's a long-term rehab Sometimes you want to kill the person when you see them in the morning. So coming in and seeing that same physio's face every morning for the six, seven hours, sometimes, yeah, vary it, fresh face. But you had to look at the relationship because it was a long-term thing. So I think it's important that they get on. I mean, when Remy Gard... I'm going way back now. Yeah, when Remy remember Gard, Remy. Yeah, Remy yeah. Gard came and um, he was injured for a fair bit in his first couple of years and we spent an awful lot of time together. My French was... Pretty rubbish. His English wasn't great at the time, and so we spent those hours every day teaching each other the respective languages. And oh, can you speak perfect French now? Not perfect by any means, but no, better than it was before Remy came. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so try and make best use of that time as you can. Do you, did you need translators at point? Because there must be some lads who turned up needing, you know, help and medical yes. help who spoke no English or yeah, very little English. Often, yeah, yeah. often. So you but had translators? In fairness, there were very few that no spoke poor English. Okay. And most of them picked it up in three months. The player liaison officer would get them English lessons in the very early days and it would be drummed into them, drummed It's very important on the pitch, you can imagine. Who did, can I ask, if you're, who, who did you most enjoy spending sort of time with on a personal level out of you know, players from last year's? Or was there several? That has been so many. Yeah. I think uh, from the, the initial boys from the first few years... Likes of Ray Parler, yeah, 
who was constantly winding people up and he was always making people laugh throughout the day. Didn't ever seem to get himself down. Uh, Lee Dixon, David Seaman, and Steve Bold for a couple of years. I mean, really good lads in the early days. Later on, we had Gilberto, Thomas Rosicki. I mean, I could name them all. Actually, right. Carl, recently, you, know, you get on well with the likes of Aaron Ramsey because of what he went through yeah. 10 years ago, less than that. And uh, yeah, you you get on with them. In the modern boys now, there's Petr Cech, Rob Holding, Danny Welbeck, all just good, good people who are very easy to rehab, intelligent boys who are mm. doing the very best they can every day. I, I, I see, I saw Rob Holding at the, at the charity pool, and he, he looks like a, a character as well, which doesn't have really come through to me previously. Like, you know, he seems like, oh, I'm, you know, brilliant player. Real big loss that he's been injured this, mm. for most of the season. But he was, they had this, like, kind of you know, like grime act playing, you know, mu- live music at the thing. And he was, he was like, you know, bopping along. He was getting really into it. I was quite surprised. And then he was kind of, and he seemed to be laughing. He seemed to be having a really good time, is what I was saying. And I feel yeah, like... nice fella. He seems like a really good yeah, guy. Yeah, like a kind fella. of, but more interesting. He seems like a kind of outgoing kind of guy as well. Yeah, he possibly. is. Yeah. He is, I think, uh, you know, he was brought in as a young boy and yeah. he settled in really well. It, it's very easy to say, when you get English, it's easier. I think that's too easy. Yeah. Quality is quality, isn't it? Yeah. But when they don't speak the language and they don't learn the language early, it is harder for them to settle in. There's no doubt about that. And I think, uh, obviously, very important to learn the language. On the pitch is a trouble. We can get onto players on the pitch sometimes to assess them and you're getting nothing back. Oh, really? So you end up dragging other players over, especially when they're injured. I think I heard Gary mention it when he was here. Yes. About resorting, reverting to their native tongue when they're angry or injured. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. And someone's in a lot of pain. Yeah. yeah, you end up dragging people over. Help me out here. Especially in concussion cases as well, you know. Right. right. What, what was the most difficult like injury situation you had to deal with from a player, like in terms of either emotional or the, the actual injury, the most complicated? I mean, Eduardo's will take some beating. So right. obviously, Gary looked after him on the pitch. Yeah. I looked after him when we got into the ambulance, and we were off. Went off to the hospital. And with Gary him stayed at the Gary stayed to cover Andrews. the rest of the match. Yeah. I went off in the ambulance with Eduardo to the local hospital, which happened to be Selly Oak in Birmingham, which is renowned for seeing the military when they come back from various war zones. So, oh. so it was a good place to a be. A nasty-looking ankle didn't seem that much to the surgeon. I'll never forget the surgeon when he came into the room and we knew it was a really nasty injury. And the surgeon took one look and said, yeah, we'll get that done tonight, no problem. So calm and because he'd seen some terrible stuff from the military boys. Now, to think that injury happened... A few miles from Selly Oak Hospital. He's mad, but it did. So it was a blessing in some ways. That I suppose. Geographically. Difficult, difficult. Ge- <laughs> geographically, if it had to happen anywhere. Difficult to call it that, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. And, um, so that was horrible because Eduardo, but could you, Eduardo could he had speak? the Euros. Because, he, you know, Gary mentioned about him re- resorting to his native tongue mm. and that you were the one with no, him. No, he was, was okay. Any... He spoke reasonably once he got into the ambulance. And had some did pain. he appreciate how serious it was immediately? Well, you can't. Yeah, yeah I think he did. Okay. But, um, so it must be... And how's that for you then, the moment where you see like Eduardo back on the pitch? Oh, it was great. It was fantastic, yeah. He, um, he came back in a reserve game on a freezing cold night on a frozen pitch at Barnet. And, uh, Would, did you go? Yeah, yeah. Would you have been there anyway? No. no. Right. But you go and see their first games if yeah. you can. I think it's important that you're seen to be there. And uh, it was just, it didn't matter how he played, the fact that he was back that night yeah. and progressed from there really. But yeah, he, was, he worked so hard in that time to get where he was and it was a a very long comeback because actually when he was injured Gary left that summer right so right. Gary did the first few months with me and then Gary went to England and then 
we carried on that rehab and he did well, but it was such a nasty ankle injury. Did he ever get back to where he needed to be? You can mm. debate that. Someone like Wilshire, has he been unlucky? It's just been unfortunate and... Were you therefore surprised? I don't want to ask your football opinion on Wilshire staying at Arsenal, but was it just a? Does, does, does the medical history eventually have to come into that decision? Do you think from the club? I think all clubs are going to want players who are going to play for them yeah. for a number of games throughout the season. There's economics in that, as well as talent, and uh, the most the biggest factor around getting injured is previous injury. Now, Jack had a couple of fairly decent injuries when he was 16, 17. Hmm. He played an awful lot of football by the time he was 19. And so, yeah, he was uh, he was unlucky because a couple of those tackles were shocking tackles. And so it wasn't always Jack's fault. But I don't know what else to say about that, hmm. really. But, but, yeah, but he, he would always, you know, <clears throat> it seems from what you would see at the time on social media, yeah, positive about... You know, recovery, and he would be focused on yeah. getting himself back. And he was, and you think what he'd been through again and again and again. He was always turning up every day, doing his rehab every day. Got do on you, with it. Do you think that the way that Jack played? This is the other thing that people would say that you know the way he plays is contributing to to like you know running with the you know almost like he's a run, runner with the ball. Potentially, and, right. hard to prove that. Obviously, sure. But potentially, I can see why people would say that, yeah. but I, I don't know the truth. No. It's difficult to prove it. The other injury, of course, we had was Aaron's nasty one. Yeah, right. Stoke. At Stoke. Sure. Was... <clears throat> Could you believe, I mean, as a, um, this just came to mind, because I think for fans, like the fact that you ended up Stoke fans would be, when he played, would chant, chant against him, the victim of a terrible injury. Could you believe it when that kind of thing happens? And what, no. you know, you know. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? I don't think anyone would, I don't think many decent Stoke fans would endorse no. that. Yeah. I think it was a, Unusual. <laughs> it was unusual. Very yeah. unusual, but no, I don't think. It's just one of the most bizarre things to do, isn't it? It's a fact to kind of blame a player for being Yeah, injured. very odd, but I don't think it affected him. Well, it didn't affect Aaron, I wouldn't have thought. A no, shiny, I didn't. A shiny example, albeit he's obviously you know, injured at the moment, but of the ability to, to come back from you know serious injuries and have the career he's, he's Yeah, he came back have. and had an incredible season, didn't he? Had that brilliant well, he did really well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you saw the injury. It was nasty. Um, he was rehabbed over a good few months, ended up going to Nottingham Forest on loan when he got oh, back fit. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, yeah. Um, God, I forgot. So when he was back fit, he needed games and he went off to Nottingham Forest only for a month or two, I think. Yeah. But yeah. Um, he got his games there and then came back and look at what he's become. From yeah. About to be the highest game. paid player <laughs> in the world. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a testament to him. Isn't it? Yeah. Testament to him and the support you had around him. Have you ever had players who are difficult? Just in general. <laughs> Define difficult, Boyd. Um, <laughs> kind of, you know, almost like too... I mean, I guess there's a perception, isn't there, by a lot of people now that, that they're spoiled and egotistical and all of that. You know, does that... Well, I also... Could I add to that that, that difficult would be... Oh, it's come back from injury. It takes dedication. You've got to do, you know, whatever the physio tell you. You've got to turn up and take that as seriously as anything. So with, with the, by difficult, maybe players that wouldn't do that side of it, wouldn't be busting a gut to get back because they sort of have got a comfortable lifestyle. I suppose you're comparing them to what's in the squad. I mean, Arsenal's difficult might be very good at another club in another country, I don't know. Mm. But difficult, no. It was... People were surprised when you say that most most players, most squads throughout those years were genuinely a decent bunch of fellas. 
And people say, there must be one oddball. There must be one mm. who was a, a pain for you. And you're really having to rack your brains to think about someone who was disrespectful, unprofessional, really badly no, unprofessional. No, no, I totally believe you. Yeah, yeah, yeah to be honest. Because yeah. you think, I also have always thought that Wenger bought that kind of player particularly. Like he w- wouldn't buy a player almost if, if, yeah, he'd do if his he thought they were going to be... <clears throat> yeah, he'd do his homework. Yeah, yeah you'd, you'd, the network of people he had in the game who would be able to give him what's the word I'm after a soft reference (laughs) on the player I think uh, there was fair homework done but genuinely racking my brains to give you a difficult player Mm. I don't think they'd be at Arsenal if they were right it's interesting isn't it because I remember when Aubameyang signed I'm just I'm not asking you but there was this kind of great fella right there's a feeling that he was somehow difficult his his previous club wasn't there I remember that being a thing that you know he had had issues with training but he's your new mate my new mate he seems one of the nicest like he spent that whole Thursday night um Charitable thing, laughing and smiling. He seems never like had, one of the happiest. Never had an ounce of trouble with a yeah, He seems incredibly genuinely good decent fellow. What was the best atmosphere, squad atmosphere in the dressing room that you, you had in your time at Arsenal? You, think? you mean generally or during a game? Yeah. I'm not, I mean like a kind of group of players. Like a kind of, I think of, you know, obviously the Invincibles. I was about to say, it's a very, yeah. very easy thing to say. I know it's an obvious one to draw back on. But when you look at that squad around 3, 4, 5, mm. 03, 04, 05, and you're talking about leaders earlier on. You look at that squad and you're picking five, six, seven players who would lead by example. I mean, I haven't got a name them, have I? You know who they are. Yeah. yeah. But there were so many. And the spirit in the dressing room was clear, it was clearly like they all got on and, they, and that well, was yeah, special. Because, uh, yeah. That dressing room policed itself. Mm. I think uh, anyone stepped out of line, be it a young player or be it anybody else, it was almost self-policed. It was very easy for the manager and the coaches and, and the medical teams. Mm. They were men. It's a bit too easy to say they were men. They weren't men, but would, you know what I mean. I, I was going to ask, you, you talk about the way that Arsene would, would listen to you and, and always sort of, you know, want, want your opinion and, and never go against what you said. Presumably there are occasions in the club where they're thinking about offering a player a, a new contract or a contract extension in a period where they may be, either might have been out for a long time. Mm-hmm. To what extent will, presumably you have to be quite involved then because you're talking about the long-term impact. <clears throat> you know, again, there's people like, you know, I guess DRB or others who would be offered deals even when they might be injured. So are you quite involved at that? It wasn't always that way. It was... It was uh... It was different. Sometimes it went that way. Sometimes you were asked your opinion if they were 50-50 perhaps. Sometimes they were going to give a player a contract if they wanted to and probably didn't particularly care what me or the doctor thought, which is fair enough. As mm. They're the coach, they're the manager. But occasionally when there was do we, don't we, then we were brought in to give our medical opinion, number one, and secondly, give them some more stats and data around what that player had given over the previous year, two years. And... Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say you were called into action for every contract renewal. Yeah. Far from it. Because I think genuinely the manager would know, I don't want to offer him a contract. I do want to offer him a contract. There's a few grey areas in the middle where they might try and take as much as they can into consideration and perhaps ask our opinion. Do you think the... Um, did you notice that the way that football changing over your time, for example, so for example, even, even in your like 10 years in charge... Uh, there's a brilliant article I read this week that a lot of people quoted in from the Irish Times. You read the Ken Early thing. He's, Ken Early wrote this article talking about how football is now, comparing it to 10 years ago. And he, he quoted stats saying, for example, that like possession, like the, the Arsenal had the highest number of passes 10 years ago 
in the league. Now it's Man City and Liverpool with double the number of passes on average per game to when we were <coughs> the best team. And and, that, and they were saying this, and the judges were saying, you know, in so many, and equally the athleticism of the players now that that word, you know, is 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 higher, and the intensity level is higher. Do, do you do you feel all that that you know, like just everything has just got more intense, more athletic, more faster? Is that fair? Yeah, I can talk medically, physically. I think yeah. uh, there's plenty of evidence. They there was a big study done by a fellow called Chris Barnes. Um, comparing 2006 Premier League data to 2013, I think, mm. around that time. And uh, the increase in sprints, the increase in number of sprints, sprint distance, total distance, everything went up. And some of it was going up by 30 and 40%. And you're comparing something seven years apart. Now, you imagine you take 2006 back 10 years mm. and take 2013 forward 10 years, I know we can't, the difference is going to be enormous. And I've heard lots of coaches say, the likes of Pat Rice and people that played in the 70s you used to be a footballer and it was great if you were an athlete now right. you've got to be an athlete and it's great if you're a footballer but then, so, do, you, got, do you think medically like you know, let's say those players in the mid 90s would some of them have I guess it's hard to know if they would have adapted but almost would some of them have been able to play in this age does that make sense because some of them oh, I think so I think they'd have been you think they would have all just adapted been, yeah I think they'd, they'd have trained differently they'd have trained perhaps I don't think they're particularly different animals. I think it's the animal will respond to what you put into it. Yeah. I think, uh, but everyone, everyone was on a level playing field back then. Yeah, they're on a fairly level playing field now. I don't think there's a club in the Premier League that isn't training optimally. I'm sure they're all doing mm. really good work, but it is different. It is very different now. They are physical, so, and because of that, do you think rotation is much more important now? For example, like I feel that again, I'm not asking you to comment this, but as an example, in my right at the moment, I feel like. Our manager's in a bit of a between a rock and a hard place because he, he's got to rotate because we're in the European League. We're playing once every three or four games, every three or four days, right? And, and so he's picking, he's rotating a lot. In fact, you know, the stats about how many players have played are extraordinary this year for us. And yet at the same time, you know, you'd, as a fan, I'd rather he picked the best players each week, right? Especially now with like three, four or five, five games to go. But is rotation a must really in this day and age? Again, it's a, there's various opinions on it and but I think the player's going to pick the player. The manager's going to pick who he thinks he's physically able to play on that weekend. Now, match physical ability to playing ability and skills and what they bring to the team, it's a difficult balance. But I don't think a player should be playing every three days. Not many players, mm. goalkeepers, perhaps some centre-backs aside, not many get through every single game. There's yeah. going to be a physical drop-off at some stage in the season. But I think... The likes of Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea, who are playing 54, 55, 56 games, to compare their injury record to a team that's only playing 40 games, 38 league, go out of both cups early, you're going to compare a team playing 40 games to a team playing 55? Right. It's nuts. You, right. you, you're playing a third more of the games. Yeah. Guess what? You're going to get at least yeah. a third more of the injuries. And funnily enough, all, all those teams you mentioned, all, all, I felt have all looked a bit tired. Like, well, it's understandable, isn't right. it? But, but do you think that, that is the yeah. thing? That it, people go, how can they possibly be tired? You know, blah, blah, blah. But actually, of course. Know, at the end of the, towards the end of the season. Uh, again, seems... there's another study done which shows if you're playing three games in a week, as in weekend, midweek, weekend, compared to not having a midweek game, you're five times more likely to get an injury in that third game. Right. Or in, in those set of games, yeah. five times more likely. Yeah. So the teams so in the, Europe, okay, you can argue the teams in Europe might have a slightly bigger squad, but it's only good having that squad if you're using it. And so it's no surprise to me that 
the teams that have got the most injuries are the teams most of the time that are playing most of the games. This yeah, team. and also, like, if you look at City and Liverpool, I'm, you know, they, their squads are... Feel, I feel like they've got 24 players. They're players yeah. that are playing each position and they're back up... Trusted players. Trusted players. Whereas yeah. I feel like us and Chelsea and, you know... Well, it's a quality of player it's coming quality, in. It's a quality, yeah. Is a, yeah. Too much level. But, I, but then but maybe that's interesting just listening to Colin there to, you know, you think back to that Crystal Palace game and... Yeah. yeah Jenkson's second appearance of a season, Rapano's second right. appearance that's of a season, and then his fourth yes. appearance of a season. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I, I feel like even then, then even the though that team selection felt, I'm not asking you to quote it specifically, but sure. it felt crazy to me, to us, to us fans. It's still like, oh, you know, he, what can he do? He's got to, because, you know, Torreira, for example, he looks kind of knackered to me. And, I, you know, I feel like he's got to rest him for a lot. He's played in the World Cup, you know, all that. Just, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah. it's hard. Yeah. But what doesn't help is, you know, teams are always going to see their own injury records. Arsenal fans are always going to think yeah, of Arsenal of more. Yeah, I would do, yeah. Injured players, naturally. Yeah. But, when you get these league tables that have go on the websites and physioroom.com as an example, yeah. they produce league tables. Now, I'm all for them producing data, well, no problem, but a league table, you're comparing a team at the top mm. that plays 55 games to a team that plays 40. Yeah, it's That's because the Premier League doesn't have an injury audit at the moment. Well, I, it will have eventually, I'm sure, but there's no official injury audit in the Premier League, so you're relying on the best a website can do. That's interesting. With, yeah. it's not a level Which player. is mainly being used by... Fancy league managers. Who well, that was why to... it was brought in originally, and yeah. there's a there's a need for that. Of course, there is. But would that almost? I mean, I remember you, you talked there about um, the media putting out you know figures. I remember I think it was during the 2016-17 season, the Daily Mirror or someone doing a, a table of the number of days that the top clubs had had players out injured over the last five years, and, and Arsenal was sort of at the top, but obviously there was no proportionality. The fact that they might have played. You know, many more games. You know, Man United were second, and at the time, both teams in Europe, etc. But did did it frustrate you? Uh, you know, during during your period at Arsenal, when when people from the outside, with little presumably medical knowledge, and certainly not the inside knowledge, would write articles and hypothesise about you know the medical team and the number of injuries and players you know not coming back when they were expected back. Two things. I think it it wasn't always wrong. I think they have to accept there were times when. We did have a lot of injuries, there's no doubt about that. Do you blame the medical team for that? that? That's an odd one. I think you blame medical teams when there's a lot of recurrences. I'm not sure you blame medical teams when there's injuries. You don't blame the ambulance man for crashes on the M1, do you? So <laughs> the medical mm. team will bring them back. If there's recurrences, fair enough. Mm. But I think that's one thing to say, that sometimes there were a lot of injuries. Um, other than that, it frustrated you when it was incorrect yeah. or badly produced stats or someone was having an opinion you thought oh come on like you say the day's missed you've only got to have two players who've got long term injuries well like and suddenly, and Wilshire would take care suddenly of suddenly there's yeah. your 500 days on top mm. I mean yeah. we, used to, we used to analyse it inside out you can imagine the, the injury data we analysed and we'd have some years that were a thousand days less than the year before of days missed and it's just madness. But it's mm. only a thousand days less because we had three long-term injuries a season before, yeah. and have managed to avoid those long-term injuries that year. Right. Did it mean we had a better year on numbers? No, not really. But the days missed data would look that much better, and data can be messed around with, can't it, to make it look better or worse than you mm. want it to? So that was frustrating at times. But what are you going to do? Yeah, mm. well, you can't respond. Presumably. No, no. 
Um, we're running. Sorry, I've got a couple of questions. We, we've got, still got to do predictions, um, Josh, even though this... But, um, oh, yeah. We always end with a prediction, you're, Colin. You're still, you're, as an Arsenal fan... Oh, you consider us an Arsenal fan, presumably. Do you you, want, yeah, of course. Yeah. You want them to do well, yeah. So when you're... Uh, this is a good game, but when you're watching an incredible game of football, like, say, you know, was it 5-4, the Spurs game, you know, yeah. that one, can you, pre- can you enjoy that on any level? Are you, are you working, you know, focusing so hard? That you, no, you, I think... I think every physio doctor would say the same thing. Yeah. You're almost, you're always a few seconds behind the ball, making sure the previous tackle, previous player, or you're keeping an eye on someone. So you're always a little bit behind it. I did used to go home and watch it in the evening if we won. Because mm. um, would you feel yeah. you haven't almost watched it? A little bit, yeah. You've missed you, it. You come off the game, oh, you'd know when, when was it a good game, not such a good game because of the amount of goals, but you're watching it at pitch level with the anxiety and the stress that comes with that game and you're watching it really to make sure players get through that game it's not really something that you know and you're looking at it in a way completely different to everyone else because yeah. you might know there's a you know talk about someone being in the red zone or you're looking out for certain things that we're not as fans you're looking to advise the manager on what you're seeing yeah that's your job to be there but obviously you're delighted when goals go in yeah and you're a bit fed up when goals go in against you but you have to try and cap your emotions. Are you worried, yeah, you worried about your facial reaction because you know the camera's going to pan. A little bit. You probably see a lot of people at the moment with the hand over oh, their God. mouth. and a lot. So Everyone, all of them. It's gone a bit too far, perhaps. Gonna, but yeah. I think most of the time it's keeping a cap on your emotions. You can't be sat there saying and, what you think, good or bad, really. Mm. Who wants to see a medical team leaping up and down like madmen? Someone could be having a problem on the pitch. I mean, it did happen. Of course it did, but... You have to try and keep a lid on it, really. You get very good at suppressing any emotion after that yeah. many years. And Arsene Wenger's um, famous, like, 60 to 65th minute substitutions, was that, were you aware of that as a thing? Not was really. the same way the fans No, were? not really. Oh, okay. No. To us, that was it's halfway through the second half. He sees something he wants to change. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now you say it, I can, I can understand it, but yeah. no one ever really thought, a couple of minutes, here comes a sub. Not really. Fair enough, yeah. But is that a thing? I don't know. Is that statistic? Oh, well, absolutely. Yeah, I think people felt with the 65th minute, it was, uh, you'd be having a glance to the bench. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think he'd seen... But some... maybe we're more thinking that now just because of how many half-time subs every oh, seems to make. Well, it's now, kind of right? gone the other way, like, yeah. so hugely. Can I just ask, are you, you obviously left us, or are you, are you looking to get back into football? <laughs> I know Gary mentioned you're, you know, setting up something together. Yeah. Um, at the moment, we're trying to set up a sports injury clinic together it's very early days it's a little yeah. way away yet so I can't say too much about it but um, it looks good it's something to focus on it's something we're excited about And but you never know the fact that both of us are doing it should a good job come up for either one of us go and do it just go on top again obviously we know that players have agents and then they get poached and how's it working in sort of the physio world because again every, all the clubs want the top people working for them well, we certainly don't have agents, that's for sure. But it's, yeah, but uh, you get you must get approach people. I'm not talking Arsenal, but you know, you, you're just look. You mentioned they're the four or five physios under you. You must be looking also for talent recruitment, effectively. Yeah, of course. I think it's you have to have a big, big network. I think yeah. after twenty odd years at Arsenal, you build a huge network. The physios and doctors you know at most of the other clubs in the UK, as well as a good few in Europe and around the world. So you do build up a network. Arsenal's got an HR department and sure. the HR department ensure that everything is done properly where possible and so we did run a process we advertised it we yeah. we interviewed and we got the best person I think most of the time and uh, 
So no, do you get headhunted occasionally? There are phone calls that come in. Would you like to try this? Would you like to do that? Didn't affect me personally particularly, but it happens. And can you now? Is it nice now to be? Can you just sit home and watch watch games, you know, and, and relax and enjoy it? After no, enjoy watching, no, not <laughs> yet. Not yet. Okay, okay. I'm that's sure that come. It's, okay. uh, it's a very odd thing to do. I didn't really watch an Arsenal match on TV live for yeah for twenty years since about 1994. So it's uh, a yeah. I do it yeah, because yeah. I want to see him do well, but it's uh, it's still I still find it quite tough at times. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's been fascinating. Um, thanks so much, Colin. It's just yeah. I mean, we could talk all night, but we have to yeah. predict what's going to happen in the next two home games. Oh yeah, which are really crucial. Uh, Valencia. Well, we'll do a, we'll do a pod next week. Yeah. Oh, we'll I see. Yeah, Valencia. Valencia Gosh, on yeah, Thursday Valencia. and Burnley yeah. on Sunday. Sorry, and sorry. Um, Brighton. Brighton on Sunday. Brighton. Yeah, at home. Um, which Our last two home games of the season. I can't right? remember the last time I missed. I've got my stag this weekend. Oh, up. Jesus. So right. I'm going to miss the, the last home game of the season, first time in years, That's which ridiculous. I uh, race out about. I, th- I I think we will we will draw against Valencia on Thursday. I don't know why. Maybe being in the away end uh, at, at the King Power has just def- deflated me. I'm going to go 1-1, Boyd. But you know we're at home on Thursday. Yeah, I'm oh, aware. Okay. I, I, we've tentatively, oh. well, we've booked, haven't we, to go to... Valencia. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we booked optimistically ahead of the Napoli second leg. Um, I'm going to go one-one, Boyd. Okay. Not that anyone really okay. follows this bit. Okay. Colin, do you want to join in the predictions? What do you think is going to happen home to Valencia? The home record's been good. Yeah. Let's go with. I think they'll beat Valencia. Yeah. Yeah. Don't make me, want me to name a score? Oh yeah, yeah. Very. Two 0 Thank you. Thanks for joining in. I'm going. I am going um, two one. Football opinion. It's a medical opinion score. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that. So <laughs> I'm saying two one. They're going to be infuriating away goal. Brighton, I think. Well, we've got to hope they're they're safe, don't we? Because if Cardiff don't win, or yeah, don't win Saturday, then then Brighton arrive and yeah. the Emirates already down, which we desperately need. Um, yeah, I, th- I think we'll get the job done against Brighton. Two nil. Yeah, I'm going to say three one against Brighton. Nothing worse than a game in between two semi-finals. Yeah, my so, gosh. Yeah, yeah, narrow victory. Okay, I'm also saying it now. I still think we're going to finish in the top four, Josh. Well, you predicted, didn't you? We should we should mention yeah. you predicted we would come. Uh, you said this two months ago that we would beat Chelsea going to come on four. goal difference. Yes, and I still think that. Yeah. Well, Chelsea, if they get four points and we get six, it will be a goal difference. They've got to so. play Leicester, haven't they? You know, Leicester. Let's, yeah. Come on, Leicester. We turn on Leicester. Anyway. Anyway. Thanks so much, Colin. It's been brilliant. Thanks Thank for you. having me. And I guess thanks to Josh as well. And we'll be <laughs> we'll back, be back next, next week. week. Cheers. Bye. Footballistically Arsenal is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.